Hello, welcome to To Be A Terrier, Stephen Chicken here, joined by the brutally honest David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? To be brutally honest, I'm alright. <laughs> Good. I am as well, thanks for asking. Uh, you teed me up like uh, like Silver Thomas for, for Dwayne Holmes there with the with the response. Right, Huddersfield Town 2, Luton Town 0. Excellent result, exactly what they needed to start the week, wasn't it, Dave? Yeah, huge result, huge result. Um, I think... I said it in the Facebook live and I said it on the uh, town podcast so apologies if you're hearing it for a third time but I I think we get trapped into thinking about six pointers only at the bottom end of the table but this was a real six pointer because not only have town gained three points but one of their direct rivals has lost three points effectively so yeah it's uh, a huge victory potentially quite season defining really because We'll get onto it, I'm sure, but I think that's a place in the playoffs done. Yeah, by which you mean, just to clarify again, for those who didn't see the Facebook Live, you don't mean it's done now, they can lose every game and they're in. What you mean no. is it would take a real it's catastrophic a, collapse. There's five games left and I think you're looking at a three-game swing. I just don't think it's going to happen on, on any of the chasing pack is going to produce a three-game swing on town at this point. Well, this is it, because we were saying last week... You know, 75 points has been the number we've had in our heads, and it, it could be more than that, it could be less than that. But generally speaking, that, you know, in a typical season will be enough to get you a playoff place. I think it was something like 83% of teams over the past 30 years that have got 75 points have, have got into the playoffs. Whereas it's, you know, if you're on 73, 74, it's only a 50 50. I think those are the numbers. It's something along those lines. So, you know, they're, they're looking at needing six more points from their remaining five games. But before we get on to sort of looking at the league table again and mulling over all the different permutations, we should talk about the game. And I think it was particularly first half, very much the game we expected against a team that has drawn every single previous encounter against Carlos Corbrandt, Huddersfield Town. Very hard working, very two, I thought, very defensively solid sides and not a huge amount to talk about in terms of attacking uh, opportunities. No, I thought it was two decent teams cancelling each other out, to be mm-hmm. brutally honest with you. There you go, hey. slip one in. I know there's a drinking game that goes on, so... Um, yeah, I, I I think they were... It was all about individual battles, really, that first half, and mm. most of them ended in a draw. Um, I think... The, the town tactical plan was to have Hoggy in midfield and then out of possession drop into the back three. But in reality, we are up to, we, we look at positions and assess on heat maps. He in or out of possession, he basically sat in the middle of that back three. And I think it worked, you know, I, th- yeah. I, I think it worked. And um, it was, <laughs> it wasn't a classic that first half, but it was one of those where, like I say, you've just got two good teams who are doing good things to cancel each other out. And it was it was interesting in its own way, I thought, Steve. It was, yeah. Um, probably not one for the watching neutrals on Sky, but I oh, think... It, not a purist's game, <laughs> was it? But I think for the two, you know, fans of the two sides, you sort of, you got what you expected. And you mentioned the individual battles there. That's something that Carlos Corbran talked about in the build-up to the game, that he thought it was all going to come down to individual battles and... We talked to Lewis O'Brien about it and he said they'd done a lot of one-on-one work uh, in training. 
And I, I think that that showed, as you say, sort of that first half, all of those individual battles ended in a draw. And you mentioned Hoggy there. I thought he, we sort of differed on this. I thought defensively he had a really solid game and Tom Lees in particular as well was, was outstanding, um, I thought. But obviously Hoggy was only in the back three really because of Matty Pearson's injury, which we should touch on quickly. Carlos Corbran is sort of saying, you know, if anyone is going to come back from that injury early, then it's him. He's a competitive animal, is the, is the words that Corbran used. But the prognosis is, I think he said six to eight weeks on that, that kind of knee injury. It was a, a tackle in training. And uh, yeah, that is a blow for Huddersfield Town in many ways. And, and Carlos Corbran said, you know, we can't pretend it's not. But on the other hand, they do have excellent options in that position and they have a couple of players in. Ollie Turton and Jonathan Hogg, who can fill in if required. But uh, yeah, I get well soon to Matty Pearce. Now, how, how big a blow do you think that is, Dave? I, I think it's a big blow come playoffs time. As I said, yeah. I, I think I think the rest of the, the league game's fine. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll find a way to get over the line. It'll be absolutely fine. It's, it kicks in when the playoffs come around. Who knows, he might be back sooner, but it's more a case of... It's that sort of knife edge, really, that Town can't afford to lose anyone else because yeah, uh, it's all right saying you've got sort of Turton and Hogg who can drop in. They can, but they can't drop drop into a two. Yeah. Um, you know, you couldn't have Levi Colwell and Jonathan Hogg as a it'd two. It'd be Saar, wouldn't it? Yeah. So then you're looking at Saar, and I know we'll talk about him and great cameo, hugely. You know, I, like we all saw how popular he is in the squad, um, and he's a bit of a he's a bit of a cult figure. Um, and he, I mean, he contributed massively last season. He played more than anybody else in that town squad, and I I know he has. There are moments where we get the full Nabi Zar, It would be fair to say. Um, but there's a big difference between having him come on for a little cameo on Monday and score, and everybody thinks it's fantastic, and actually starting him in, you know, mm. big games. Um, so, yeah, it's just a little bit of a knife edge now. But uh, Levi Colwell is is I think back in form after his mm-hmm. his spell out. He looks really really good again, and I thought Tom Lee's was was utterly magnificent I, I really did um, I thought he was brilliant not not just the work he did in terms of his defensive duties but the way he talks others through the game um, the way he, he talks Colwell through the game um, and he was even the one who was who was quite often telling Hoggy when to when to get back in line as well I just thought he was superb. I was actually just talking to our Sheffield Wednesday correspondent on Yorkshire Live, and he'd watched the game on on Monday evening because he's a town fan, and um, and he was saying that the difference in Tom Tom Lees has been brilliant defensively sort of throughout his career, um, particularly at Wednesday. But he said the difference between him on the ball at, at Huddersfield Town versus what he was like at Wednesday, he says, is is absolute night and day. He was full of praise for the way that they've got they've got him playing now and the way that you know they've coached him he's but I mean he and Colwell are just so calm you know I think mm-hmm. you know we we would how many times last season did we talk about goals getting given away and sort of you know shooting themselves in Panic. the foot yeah because they yeah, were panicking right. whereas they're now at a point where they can they can play those fine margins we know that they they like to do the thing where they wait until the last possible moment before they release the pass which is an intentional thing because that's how you sort of draw players into the press and try and create space mm. for other people. But 
you know, the, there's been goals this season that Town have given away because they've conceded possession cheaply. But I can't think of many where they've given goals away because of the kind of panics they had last season. You know, it's just no. been poor, poor passing and the wrong decisions rather than panicking under pressure because they've got a centre forward steaming down their throats and. You know, I I thought the whole back line, they they weren't flawless. You know, Um, Matt from the other podcast was pointing out to us a couple of strange decisions Jonathan Hogg took on the ball, for instance, uh, with his passing. Um, But I think they got that out of their system very quickly. And I thought, you know, I wrote in the conclusions, it was a real sort of victory for clean shorts defending. Because we've seen loads of times this season, you know, we've well say loads of times. We've seen a few times this season, thinking of Forest and Blackburn and Fulham, where they've had to throw themselves in front of everything and make load of challenges. Here they kept looting down to seven shots and only one on target by just sticking to their positions well and staying calm and keeping composed. I thought I'd much rather see that than three goal line clearances. Personally, I don't know if that's just me. No, no, I think that's exactly right. I, I think you get. There's two different types of defenders, really. There's there's a defender who can defend, and there's a defender who can defend and play football. And Tom Lees and Levi Colwell can both defend and play football, is the thing. So you've got a far better platform to get it out to uh, midfielders and to get the ball wide. And last season, you had Richard Keogh, who could defend, but he thought he could play football, and he couldn't. Um, so you <laughs> used to get these moments where him and Naby would give the ball away in in horrible positions all the time and you just don't get that this season and I think it's it's also it's about decision making I think the thing that marks Colwell out really more than most of his age or his level is his natural reading of the game and his decision making even if he doesn't always get the challenge right or win the ball but his decision making in terms of when when to go for it, when to commit, is usually absolutely spot on, um, and I think that's the big difference. But the the thing they do miss with Pearson is, I think with Pearson, you particularly when they played a three earlier in the season, you just have this lovely mix of Colwell's speed, uh, Lees's intelligence, and then Pearson's brawn. And I'm not, you know, I'm not doing Pearson down in any way by saying that, but he was very much the enforcer of that back three and mm. they just had a really lovely mix. Um but yeah, you know, I didn't think Hogg did anything wrong. I thought he was I thought he was okay first half and then second half I thought he was really good. You know, he really sort of blossomed into it. Um and I thought he was really, really good second half. So yeah, I don't think massive worries going forward defensively no and and they also sort of they had Pippa back on at right back rather than Ollie Turton and I think we know what he can bring in attack but I thought he did his job well his, his recovery pace is what he's got over Turton so even if he does bomb forward he's, he's well mm. capable of getting back quickly uh, he's uh, he, he can put your heart in your mouth he's probably the one of that back five who you sort of you, you have your heart in your mouth a couple of times him and Danel Sinani on the right wing was a real sort of pairing of chaos agents, wasn't it? Yeah. Which is is both good and bad, depending on the circumstance. But uh, Although I would say, to be honest with you, I, I think it was slightly bizarro, Pippa, against Luton, because I actually thought he was pretty good defensively, mm. but I thought he was poor going forward. Yeah. And usually it's the other way round, and his pace gets him out an awful lot of trouble defensively. But I thought he was quite, actually quite disciplined and did okay, but... Him and Sonani need to work on a 
understanding, I would think it's fair to say. Yeah, I thought they had both Pippa and Toffolo on a shorter leash than they normally get. Mm. Uh, less so Pippa, but definitely Toffolo was... He barely got into the final third in this game, and that was... I think mostly a tactical thing. I think they were very aware of what James Bree could do up that right-hand side, and I thought it was a really, really disciplined showing from Toffolo. Without being sort of a massive attacking threat, I thought he did his job in that back line well, uh, other than when Luton got through for the, the penalty. But uh, And that's just based on where the positions, you know, where the runs come from. I've, I've not gone back and looked at, at whether there was a marking issue there or whether he might have been caught forward or what, whatever it might have been. But when you see someone going down that side, you do think, where's the left back? But um, I think he was offside as well, Bree, wasn't he? It certainly looked it in the ground. But they had Sorba Thomas on the left-hand side as well, which I think is another reason that they're able to play Toffolo in that more conservative role because normally you have... Harry Toffolo offering the width on the left because they play an inverted winger on the left-hand side who likes to cut inside. And then you have Sorba Thomas providing all the width on the right-hand side, particularly when, as I say, when when it's Turton that's playing. But doing it this way and putting Thomas on the left meant that you could have Toffolo in that more conservative role. And I think he he looked at home playing there because he was, although it was sort of, you'd put it down as a 3-4-3, it was really more of a 5-4-1. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I I think I think it's worth having a chat about that midfield now though, isn't it, to be fair? Because I, I think, like John Russell had a standout moment in the game and it was a real touch of quality, but I thought he was pretty good in front of that defence as well, um, doing a slightly different job than I think he's been asked to do before. And I, I, I'm not... <laughs> I'm still not as high as a lot of people are on him. I still think the lack of pace is a, is a key issue. Um, but his range of passing when he's allowed to sit and he's allowed to do that job is is undeniable. And when you've got the ability in a key moment of the game to, to do what he did, then, yeah, you know, he's he's got a big future, hasn't he? He does, and... It's funny because it was before it became clear that John Russell was going to be the big talk, talking point of the game. I was talking about Lewis O'Brien to someone, and we were saying, you know, he is for all his great qualities, and he's a Premier League player. You, you don't need us to tell you how much we we admire Lewis O'Brien, but uh, he can put passes astray. He can be a bit sloppy on the ball sometimes. And someone said to me, "Well, yeah, but if he could." do with the ball what John Russell can do if he could pass like John Russell then we, he wouldn't be at the club he'd have he'd have left two years ago kind of thing so and I think the reverse is true with Russell really you know if yeah. if he had that athleticism over Lewis O'Brien he wouldn't be at the club he's he's playing in the championship and was released by Chelsea because he doesn't have those physical attributes that pace specifically to that the other players might have in his position that you would normally think you know and I think the the reason you and I had doubts was because we feel like in the modern game pace is is much more important than it used to be but you know he he compensates so well for for his shortcomings in his game and I think as you say that that goal a moment of quality like that goal just shows you what he can do and what he can bring to the side it was it was a phenomenal effort wasn't it yeah it really was it really was I I, I think that you could see him look round and I, he he sort of glances twice because it's it was in a literal sense I think it was basically the first time either defence had even switched off for a moment because Luton have been really on their game too 
and he just couldn't believe the space he was in and it was one of them that you can only really try when you're in that sort of space and yeah it was just a just a terrific finish but I think that my they're not reservations that's too strong a word but I think my issues with Russell are just that he's fine in this current setup where you've got a manager like Carlos Corbran who really wants control and he wants possession that's what he wants above all else but it it's just there are other ways of playing and other things you need to do in games where perhaps you need a little bit more dynamism and then you have to play him in a different way you you do have to have him at quarterbacking basically because he can't do he can't get into the positions higher up the field quick enough you know that's that's just the reality so he uh, the, the one thing i would say about him is he's so early into his career mm-hmm. he's so so early into his career we we it's there are a lot of assessments around that at the moment he's still in that trap of if he plays badly everybody <laughs> there are a group of people who say he's absolute rubbish should be nowhere near the first team and if he plays well, he's the best player in the championship and he's absolutely brilliant. And I think we need to see a, like a bigger sample size to know exactly where he's going to be. The thing is, I think next season, that's likely exactly what we're going to get, isn't it? A much bigger sample size. Yeah, I have wondered, because we've, we've talked before about Carolighton and how little he play, he's played. Mm. And I do wonder if it is just a... Because I think Iting has sort of... A lot of that, without the sort of the the height, obviously, and the aerial prowess, has a lot of the same qualities that John Russell does. They're quite similar players. They're both very classy on the ball. They like to play in similar areas, etc. But I think obviously, Iton's only under contract till the end of the season. He turned down a longer deal. You know that they offered him a longer mm. deal when he came back in January, and he turned it down. So I think it is a little bit of a bet on the longer term prospect. And I think. Again, to use the word reservation, maybe slightly inappropriately, but um, the reservation we had was, is that a sensible thing to do when you're chasing a playoff place and, you know, the results are so important this season? You know, it's not like they're mid-table, etc. But I think Russell has, you know, for all he'd been, we thought he was poor in the previous three games, he is capable of things that that other players just aren't capable of and and has value Mm. to this side. And, you know, it's not just those individual moments, it's just his composure, the fact that he can, on the ball, compensate for that lack of pace by just sheer sort of muscle and if anyone comes near him, he just shoves him away, um, etc. It is is worth saying as well, though, that physicality is a big thing on set pieces, both defending and attacking them. And that... That really is, I think, what is keeping him in the side at the moment because Lewis O'Brien and Jonathan Hogg aren't the biggest <laughs> and they have to start every week. So just having that extra... If you had Iting in there, who's not overly competitive in the air either, I, it, it makes total sense to keep playing John Russell. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's he's very, very likely going to be a starting midfielder next season too, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think you're right to say he looked more at home playing in this role I think he he either, as you say, needs to be sort of quarterbacking, but if he's going to do that, I think he needs to learn to be a bit more mobile than he was against Hull, where he just sort of stood between his two markers and and was out of the game as a result of that in the first half. Second half, he was better with his movement. Or you play him, as you say, a little bit further up, and I think he looked a bit more at home further up, knowing that he had five players behind him, you know, um, rather than playing him in a uh, in a you know in a four four two where there's less protection for him, but 
yeah, he 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 was a, a brilliant goal, and then you get the penalty ten minutes later. What was your view on the uh, the instant first of all, Dave? Um, I was on extra time on for for town, and we did the Facebook live straight after kickoff, and I hadn't had the benefit of seeing a replay. I've seen the replay now, and I've looked at it a couple of times. I don't think there was much in it, but I would say I completely understand why it's given. the The problem is, it's that classic thing, and it's something we've talked about before. Don't give a referee a question to answer. That's that's the problem. You know, like the touch wasn't massive. It wasn't malicious. He didn't go steaming in. He wasn't out of control. But he's coming across him as he's making the run. And attackers now, part of their job in the penalty area is to try and sell any contact they get. That is that is mm. the game, whether you like it or not. And I just, yeah, you know, if I'm honest, I think if it goes to VAR, it would have been quite interesting to see what the verdict would have been with the benefit of, of replays and a, somebody else looking at it. But... I I do completely understand why it was given, and I I really haven't got any sort of issue with it being given as a result. If I'm honest, yeah, I, I I'd like to see if it was offside first of all. Um, but yeah, I mean I've looked at it several times. I I personally don't think it's a penalty, but there you go, it was given, and it didn't matter in the end because Adebayo steps up and and hits the post with it. And the, there is I've seen a couple of people on Twitter saying, "Did Nickel save it?" And I thought that way because there's an angle behind the goal. I think just because of where it bounces as it hits the floor, it looks like Nichols might have got a touch to it, but he, he absolutely doesn't when you see it no. from another angle. And I, I think if <laughs> I think if he had a saved it, I think we'd know about it via <laughs> town social media team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think that was the moment where the game really went in town's favour, and mm. I tried Luton to sl- lost their heads. That yeah, was the thing. Abs- Luton lost their heads. Absolutely. I mean, Sorber Thomas said town were fitter, and that was why they won the game. But I think it was a mentality thing, personally. Yeah, I, I mean, it could have it could have been both. But I mean, Luton have got where they are by being a very fit, well organised, hard working side. So I would be surprised, uh, although they did play in midweek. To be fair, but. I tried to find sort of evidence of it in the stats that that was where the game turned and I couldn't really find much because Luton did have slightly more shots than Town. They had four to three. But, I mean, even four shots to three does not speak of a team that was 1-0 down in a playoff six-pointer with 20 minutes to go. And I think just to the eye in the ground, it just felt like the goal, the next goal, if it was going to come, was going to go... Huddersfield's way because you felt like the opportunities were going to be there on the counter there was one where Silver Thomas was very harshly ruled out for offside when Jonathan Hogg played him through he would have been clean through one-on-one with the keeper and you just felt like town were going to get a counter-attack or a set piece and get the second goal and that's exactly what happened brilliant delivery by Silver Thomas finds Naby Sar at the, the back post he's completely unmarked very very simple header and you mentioned earlier sort of the popularity he has within the squad Naby Sar and Carlos Corbrand touched on it after the game and he was talking about how in training he trains every day like it's you know like he's playing 90 minutes in the championship and he's not the first player he said that about he's also said it about Josh Ruffles and Fraser Campbell for instance over the past few months Ollie Turton as well so I think that speaks very 
strongly of sort of the group of players they've got, the mentality in the group, the togetherness, etc. Also thought it was interesting he talked about how Naby has been a big, big help with the B team players, likes of Loic Aina and mm. Anetti and Kamara, who is a midfielder really, but has played at centre back a lot this season in a back three. And there's a lovely video of of Aina and Kamara along with Brahima Diara in the stand celebrating Naby's goal. It's brilliant if you if you've not seen it. Um, I would I would I th- uh, Jai Singh who came and did work experience with us uh, took it off Insta and and so the story is there on Twitter. If you want to watch it, I retweeted it. If you go to my timeline. But um, lovely moment for Naby Sar. Uh, but uh, wouldn't be broken hearted if that was sort of his perfect goodbye, would it? No, we've no we've no advanced information yet, but you know his contract's up in the summer, and I don't I don't think there'd be a desire on either side. If I'm brutally honest, not not because there's been any fallout or anything like that, but he's quite an expensive fourth option when you've got to make decisions on Romani Edmonds Green and Romani Klitschlow coming back to the club, etc. And also Nabizar wants to play football. He played more minutes than anybody else in that squad last season, mm-hmm. and then this season he's he's barely had a, a kick comparatively. Uh, he like it or not, he's too good <laughs> to sit and not play. That's that's the thing. So it it did. I said to you, I wonder if that would be the perfect goodbye on the night. And uh, yeah, it, it could well be. But he does love that. He does pop up with a goal, Navizar, doesn't he? <laughs> that was something yeah. he's been sort of consistent with throughout. But it, it, the game, Luton went really ragged, and it wasn't because they were pushing for an equaliser it's because they I think they felt a sense of some sense of injustice after the penalty because not only was it missed obviously the thing we haven't talked Mm -hmm. about is there was then a bit of a brawl it was Lewis O'Brien said something to Adebayo then it was I think Naismith that came over and and shoved him I don't think it was a red card I know a lot of people say you know it was a red it it was two hands to the chest and and (laughs) I said to you uh, Lewis sold it like a decent standard wrestler, which I mean, I, I'm ashamed to have used a wrestling reference, and I just want to apologise publicly to people who know me. Um, but then, obviously, it descended into a little bit of chaos, and there was an awful lot of of shirts being pulled and people in each other's faces, etc. And I don't think Luton ever really recovered after that. They never really seemed to get themselves back together. And it was interesting that a couple of minutes after the sort of passes that were going astray, the first attack after, I can't remember who hit the pass, but it was just just a stupid ball into space that went out for a goal kick. And Towns, you know, back five at the time, were just rubbing their hands with glee. So it was. I, I thought it was... What I'm leading up to there is just saying, really, I thought it was a testament to Towns' professionalism, really, that they... They got themselves back together. They stayed. They they were doing the things they knew they were working, and they just didn't let the emotion and the heat get to them in any way. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, we talked a lot earlier this season about how Town didn't have the best record when it came to holding on to to leads. They had a spell sort of between November and January where they took the lead in eleven games, and they ended up dropping points in six of them. Since the beginning of February, though, they've taken the lead in eight games. Not only have they only dropped points in one of them, which was obviously the West Brom game, but they've also been the team, they've also gone and scored a second goal and 
against Peterborough a third goal in six of those games. So just in the past couple of months, they've more than doubled. They've had more than double the number of games where they've extended their lead than they had up until the end of of January, which is obviously really encouraging to see. Is a big reason why they've got into the league position they have, but also both really, really well for the playoffs, where obviously the the pressure is going to be ramping up and and you need to have your wits about you yeah definitely definitely i i it it's something again i know we've referred to last season already a couple of times in this podcast but it's something they just didn't have last season they couldn't there was too many players who who were making bad decisions on the pitch and there was too many players who didn't know whether to stick or twist if if they did go a goal ahead there's just none of that in this side this season they they know their roles they know what they have to do and Whoever they face in the playoffs, um, it's going to be really, really tough. There's going to be some really good sides in those those playoffs this time. But mental attitude and being able to cope with the pressure is is sort of half the battle in playoffs a lot of the time. So we'll see. We'll see. And the other thing is that obviously it's three points against a rival. And, you know, I, <laughs> I'm keen not to start talking about the playoffs like they've already got it. Because, as we say, I think it's... It's looking a lot more likely than not. They're twelve That's to one my on. Job. Yes, exactly. They're twelve to one on with the bookies at the moment to get the playoffs, but it's not there yet. And just before we came on air, I was looking at how Town had done against their upcoming opponents in the first half of the season, and they only beat of the five. They've only beaten Bristol City. The others they've they've either lost or drawn. So, you know, there is a job to do there. I think obviously that those games were probably which came at a time where Town were in a bit of a lull a lot of the, those teams they played in sort of November early December when they're in their one sort of little mini bad spell of the season where they took one win from seven games I don't think it's really anything to do with sort of those sides have Town's number they but they do need to go and prove that now so they do need to get the points to get into the playoffs but that win over Luton means that they now actually have quite a good record against the rest of the top six, and especially away from home. They're, they're really good away from home uh, in those big games. <laughs> There's positive signs there if they do sew up that playoff berth, aren't there? There are. There are. I The way I'm looking at it, and the reason I think it's done, is that you think they need six more points. I think it might be four because of the way the, the other sides are cannibalising themselves at the moment. And I think that you look at Bristol at home on the last day of the season, that's a very agreeable fixture. Barnsley at home, very agreeable fixture. I think QPR at home right now is is QPR a rocking. Um, they're, they're a little bit all over the place. I think Rock, they're Rocking in the sense of rocking out of control and doing really badly, yes. not rocking in the sense of the stadium is rocking. Yeah, um, so I don't think there's... An enormous amount to fear there in terms of of town having to sort of. I think the thing against Luton was that was clear in the first half is both teams had set out not to lose that game rather than win it. Whereas against the three teams I've just mentioned, QPR, Barnsley, and uh, Bristol, you set out to win those games. That's that's the difference. And I think commentary away is is difficult. Middlesbrough away is difficult. Even one point from those two games would be a really good would be a really good haul at this point of the season. So I I just think they're they're pretty much there. Um I can't see them slipping up. And I think that the the problem is the records and how they've done and all this, it all goes out of the windows in the playoffs. It usually comes down to who's got something left in the tank. 
And it was quite clear when yeah. you looked at the fitness levels from that Luton game, these sound players have definitely got something left in the tank. I know they've just had a couple of, of decent breaks, a lot of them. But yeah, they they're coming into it in the right they they're on a they're on an upward trajectory at the moment and I think if they beat QPR on Friday, then I think even you will just have to admit it's pretty much done. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm right there with you. I, I agree. I think it's going to take something pretty catastrophic for them not to get in there now. Um, but I'm uh, not to excuse the inadvertent pun. I'm quite keen not to count chickens because it's it's not a great look if I start writing about them as though it is done, <laughs> and then uh, they end up losing the next three, and suddenly the the pressure's on. But I mean, they're, they're looking good. It could even have been three nil. We sort of alluded to it earlier. Silver Thomas went through two on one with a defender. Should have squared it to Dwayne Holmes, really, uh, but didn't. Took the shot instead. I think, uh, in the circumstances, we'll sort of we'll give him a give him a pass on that. Again, excuse the inappropriate pun. Uh, next time he, he needs to to square that ball though. And they had a bit a bit of hashtag banter on mm-hmm. on Instagram around that one, which was nice to see. But. Um, no, I mean it's it's real feel good. We we can see from sort of the social media and the numbers we're getting on the site. There's a real real feel good factor about Huddersfield Town now. I think people were quite nervous going into that Luton mm. game. Uh, I think Town have got form for nervous performances against Luton. First time that Town fans have actually seen Luton at the John Smiths since they come back to the Championship. By the way, I, I hadn't thought hadn't occurred to me, but um, yeah, it it was. A very professional job, well done, and two massive games coming up over the weekend against QPR and Middlesbrough, as you say. But um, QPR are in dreadful form at the moment, really, really poor. That they've completely dropped off a cliff the last couple of months. But Middlesbrough, I don't think I think I'm right in saying Town have never won at the Riverside for all that's worth, and Borough have an excellent home record this season. Do you think? three points in those two games is a good return or are you looking for four or even six no I think three points would be absolutely fine um, I I think you have to target that QPR game for a win yeah. I think Middlesbrough you have to try not to lose it um, with, just going back to what I yeah. was saying if if you take something up there great Middlesbrough are a good side Chris Wilder is a good manager they have good players they could the, the, that sort of shake up for the bottom couple of, of playoff places is still very interesting still very very interesting mm. Middlesbrough could well be um, the one that comes through I, I yeah and the other thing is it's that typical town thing of they've only got a couple of days to prepare for it that's not where Carlos Corbran does his best work um, he, he he's far better when he has few days to prepare a side and a few days to work tactically with them etc so I think it's a bit horses for courses on Monday I think you just have to get a side out that you hope can take something from the game rather than do what they did against Luton which is have lots of these individual matchups and battles and have a real plan for sort of your first 15 minutes of the game your next phase of the game the phase after I think the Middlesbrough game you just have to try and get through it and see if you can get something from it so we'll We'll see on that one, but three points would be absolutely fine. We said four points from these six games, and they've already got three yeah. in the bag. So, yeah, another three points, and they're, they're tracking well ahead, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, and I think QPR's result 
probably means they're out of the playoff picture now, really. So, <laughs> yeah, I weirdly, agree. although you're saying I agree, they they need to be targeting a win against QPR because their their form is so dreadful at the moment that that anything less than there's no reason they should be going for less than that. But of the two, I think that's the one. <laughs> it, again, I said this about the Luton game as well, but I think of the two, if they're going to lose one of them, that's that's actually the one to lose and not Borough because I think QPR just aren't a threat to their position, whereas. Borough, you know, if they if they do lose to, to QPR, then Borough will be right behind them. So, you know, they need to keep them at arm's length. But, you know, they can go into every game sort of without fear now. Um, and I think that's probably been true for, for quite some time, obviously, with that unbeaten run. And they've, you know, you talk about the professionalism, the way that they've put those two results, just about well, three results, just before the international break behind them. You know, we talked after the whole game about how they just needed the result and to put that game you know, put the the West Brom, Millwall and Bournemouth games firmly behind them. They did that against Hull. And we were saying we wanted to see another result and maybe a bit more of a performance against Luton to give hope going into the final few games. And they've done that. So, you know, it's it's happy days really at the moment. We don't really have any... I mean, are there any negatives at the moment, Dave? No, well, it's not that there aren't any negatives, but you're in a spell at the moment where it's just not worth pointing anything out. Yeah. The, the, the fact we're saying that John Russell may not be in 10 years time one of the best midfielders in the country as a criticism that's pretty much where we <laughs> where we are with town at the moment yeah. it's it's going as well as can be expected and I think you have to there has to be an enormous amount of credit paid to to lots and lots of people for that it's not just players it's not just Carlos Corbran it's the coaching staff and it's Lee Bromby that's put this squad together and is is working with them on a day-to-day basis and we're here as analysts to to pull apart, and we do when they are when they're bad, and when there's there's things that we need to criticise and for. So I think we also have to sit here and pat them on the back when there isn't. Yeah, agreed. Right, lovely. That'll do for this week's episode. I think slightly sw- shorter and sweeter by the looks of things, but uh, you know we've said everything there is to say, and obviously we're mindful we've got two more big games coming up as mm. well. So we'll we'll talk more I think next week when we've got two games to talk about, but. Dave, thanks for joining us. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Uh, just that feeder were sorely underrated, and I've been listening to them a lot lately. Yeah? What's your yeah. favourite feeder album? Or are they a greatest hits kind of band? Well, Spotify has rather ruined the album for you because you end up just listening to an in- entirety of a playlist, and the This Is Feeder playlist is just excellent from start to finish. In a week, I'll probably hate them again, but over the last month, I've listened to them an awful lot. Um, I would have thought that you would want digital media for feeder. Why? I don't get that. That's a reference, isn't it? Because, Dave, you've got a CD player, 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 player. You don't want to talk about it anymore, do you? I'm just going to let the silence speak for itself. Cool. See you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>